Bonjour et bientôt à l'épisode 30 du Texing. Avec moi, Justin Vincent et le other bloke, Jason Robert. <laughs> Bonjour. Bonjour. I didn't, you, I didn't know you spoke French. I'm not sure that was French. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, uh, did you take French in, uh, in school or something? Uh, yeah, I did. I did a little bit of French in school. Went on a couple of French holidays and, and no idea why I just did that intro in a French accent, but uh, I like it. That's 8.30 I, on a Sunday morning. <laughs> you know, I took four years of French in high school, but I don't even think I would know how to say 30 in French. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think with, with learning language, especially with me, I mean, taking classes to learn a language is kind of tough if you don't actually go to the, go to the uh country uh and, and and speak the language all the time yeah you definitely you definitely need to do that i i always hate i took german in college i took french in high school and i i really did really enjoy those classes but uh that's impressive the impressive that you can even bs your way through it was pretty good i think i just wanted to see what you what you'd do i'll roll with it <laughs> how, how you'd react <laughs> hey man, after you told me you wore makeup for a year in high school, oh my god, <laughs> I can roll with anything now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so how's how's your week been? Good, good. Uh, hard to hard. You know, the weeks go by so fast. It seems like I'm so busy that it's hard for me to remember exactly what I did. Right. <laughs> you know, that's that's one of the things I think when you get into a routine in life, there's, there's the, the the pros of getting into a routine is that you're very efficient. Yeah. The cons are that you can't remember what you did because it was all blends in. You know, there are months when you're just, you've got it, you've got life down to this very efficient routine of these things that you want to get done that maybe you, that you enjoy doing or that you need to get done. And, uh, but you look back and you go, God, I, you know, what did I do two weeks ago versus a month ago? It's hard to even tell. Well, for me, the main thing about the last week is that I found out, you know, the, all this work that I've been doing on TweetMiner, the auto friend adding system. Yep. So I've just found out yesterday that it's against the, uh, uh, the rules and the terms of service of Twitter. Really? <laughs> so I've been working, oh. I guess, like an hour to two hours a day for the last two to three weeks building this new, new large piece of functionality in TweetMiner, and it's just irrelevant. Mild. That's yeah, mild. <laughs> mild. No, um, <clears throat> but I, after giving it some thought, um, I've realized that I can basically just change it into a friend recommendation engine. And I just, think you should make it an enemy adder. An enemy adder. Okay. I mean, if you can't add friends, can you add enemies? Uh, I guess you can add enemies, but it would still be with the same functionality. So it would still be with the <laughs> exactly. friend. So it's just sort of a, a, a legalistic maneuver. Like, look, it's not a friend adder. It's an enemy adder. Well, the issue is the automation rather than the, the adding. Better yet, you could be a frenemy adder. Right? Yep. You know what a friend is? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the issue, the issue with them is, the, the issue with their terms of service is the automation aspect. So I think that if I use the same functionality and allow them to type in keywords and allow them to type in different qualifiers, I can have a little area called the friend finder or the, yeah, friend finder or friend rec recommender or something like that. Right. So, they, so they go into it and what it does is it, it hunts down the people. It's just it doesn't auto add them. What it does is it puts them into a list on the screen and then they personally click the buttons, yes or no. Yeah, so, it hunts them down. I like that. I like that terminology. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it doesn't add friends. It hunts them down. <laughs> you are in a good mood this morning, Jason. 
Yeah, I, I just had a few uh, a few sips of, of my first cup of coffee, so I guess I'm getting. I am up. actually buzzing off the coffee I just had. I've yeah. got, I've got for Christmas this coffee maker called the Keurig, and yeah. um, it makes individual cups of coffee. Um, and you can you can buy you know the way that it's like it does an espresso per cup, so it's right. all, always perfectly fresh. Yeah, and yeah. I'm just recently bought this coffee for it called Donut Shop Coffee. <laughs> And this stuff really gives you a kick. That's the old school coffee. That's like the truck drivers and everybody yeah. has, you know, at five in the morning when they're in their morning shift. That stuff's yeah. Um I'm not I, I'm kind of a lightweight when it comes to coffee. I I, I drink like uh what I call a poor man's mocha, which okay. is like coffee with like cocoa mix in it. Oh my god. Well cocoa's <laughs> good for you. Yeah, I don't know. It's probably a lot of sugar, but I, I I like it anyway. Um yeah, so, so you've got your frenemy adder, your your friend hunter on. Well, I just and... started mocking it out in Balsamic, um, so I think it could. I think it would be quite nice. Um, it'll just be a way of, because what the one? I mean, the one thing about Twitter is you know you want to grow your following, but it is a bit of a pain having to hunt down the people and find them out. So this tool I think would be quite good because it will bring, you know, you'll type in keywords where like we'll type in PHP and we'll type in uh, JavaScript or whatever. And it'll bring, it'll make us aware of people who are talking about that. And then we can right. just kind of quickly add them as a friend. So I had a couple of things. I, I just, it just, re, you know, reminded me uh, what you just said, reminded me a little bit of some things I've been thinking about Twitter. Now, obviously I don't really use Twitter. Right. Um, I have a Twitter account and I've, I've, posted maybe half a dozen things on there. Um, but here are a couple of things. It's like if you build a Twitter following and you don't have anything, any sort of web presence or public presence beyond that, then what is it really? You well, know, if you don't have like say... It's just social I mean, networking. Certain, yeah, but I mean, it's okay. So there are people who are, I don't know, let's call them web famous, Right. Tech yeah. famous. They're, they're, you know, they're not, or, you know, celebrities, obviously, they already have a public persona, right? So you have athletes and, and, uh, celebutants and, um, and actors and entertainers, and, and they have, and a certain number of them do the Twitter thing, right? And allows them to sort of communicate with their audience. So it's, it, in some sense, it's kind of useful for them in that way if they, if they want to do that, they want to engage their fans. Yeah. And then you have sort of the web famous people, um, the people in the tech world and, and, and those people who, they have like a you know, popular website or they're a big time VC or a big time entrepreneur and everybody Jason wants Jason Calacanis, to, for example. Yeah, Calacanis or, or Andreessen or whoever. I, yeah. And, well, those people are internet famous and they have a big following, a big presence outside of Twitter. So, you know, you hear them on interviews or you, hear, or you read articles they write because they write, you know, they have a mailing list or they have a blog or they have whatever. And so those people, so the twi Twitter for them is just one more medium. It allows them to interact with people uh, on a broader scale. But for people who are just, are essentially unknown, right? They don't really do anything other than tweet then what then what what is it really doing for them other than some sort of marketing ponzi scheme well no i mean tommy trc who's tweet miner's uh, biggest affiliate i mean he doesn't have any kind of presence other than twitter okay and he loves it and he has you know 25000 followers on twitter and he 25, just 25000 yeah and he just really loves talking to people <laughs> on twitter <laughs> that's his deal 
That's interesting. I, I just, I wonder what, um, it's just kind of an interesting thing. Like what kind of relationship do you have with people on Twitter if you don't have a relationship um, in some other form because it's such a limited way of communicating? I don't know. I guess I'll ask. Uh, do you want me to ask him? I don't, I don't know. I'd be curious to you. I mean, you how many followers do you have? Um, <clears throat> 5,300. Really? Yeah. It's pretty good considering you started out not that long ago, six months ago, you didn't even have any followers or yeah. something, right? Um, <clears throat> well, it wouldn't really mean anything to me if I didn't have tweet, if TweetMiner didn't exist, to be honest. Mm-hmm. It's because of posting the uh, the links. And, and before TweetMiner existed, I posted decent links just manually. Because, yeah, because it's a, it's, it's essentially, it's a marketing, it's a, a device, right? I mean, the, the only reason why I built it was to promote Texi. <laughs> right like that's the reason why you built the following yeah. yeah it's a marketing it's a marketing tool and it, right? by the way i mean it hasn't really worked very well for texting has it no it doesn't seem like that any there drives anything no do it uh to, to texting i i just i'm just very i'm just curious about it because you know i get people follow i hear i get these follow requests which are strange because i don't even do anything on there and usually people who, who who are following thousands of people and they have thousands of followers and i'm like who are these people yeah. you know and uh you know occasionally i I'll, I'll read their uh you know i'll click and i'll read their little bio or, or whatever on twitter and it, and, and it sounds like I mean, some of them are, I think, may have probably found me from texting. So they might actually listen to the show and because it sounds like they're, they're tech entrepreneurs or, you know, software developers or whatever. Um, but how could they find you? Because I, could, I couldn't even find you from texting. I wouldn't know where to go on Twitter to find you. Huh, really? Well, yeah, I don't know what you're like. It's J-Row24. Uh, no, remember it's ExoJason? Remember I said I came with it? Uh, Exo. Tab, uh, handle ExoJason. ExoJason. Which actually, someone had to write a comment that they thought it was really, they thought it was brilliant. Exo <laughs> so that makes, Jason. That makes two of us. <laughs> I think yeah. Jessica doesn't get it <laughs> at no. all. Uh, it, uh, so we had a pretty poor turnout of comments for episode 29. Yeah, I guess people burned themselves out on the week before, right? <laughs> yeah. We got, we got one comment from, from Robin who, who says he spent 29 hours with us. Yeah, well, the funny thing is, is he gets confused and, and thought I was the one that wore makeup. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, come on. It's like the one thing to confuse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I, but you corrected, you corrected that, right? You said, yeah, yeah well, I'm the English guy and Jason's the American guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so have you got any tech stories to talk about this week? Okay, well, I don't have too many articles. I, I went through... I, I kind of have like a, I kind of track the link things that I read during the week. Yeah. And I, 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 te- I, for some reason, didn't read a whole lot of tech-specific stories. I guess things that were popping up on um, Hacker News, I didn't find all that super interesting. But um, a couple things I, I found that I, you I got a I cold at the moment. I do. I have. Um. I think I have uh, allergies in January. Oh, okay. No, um, sorry about that. If it's if I sound a little weird, so. Um, one thing is, like, I, I've noticed on uh, Hacker News is there's, there's always these, all these stories on functional programming like Cloture and Scala, you know, Lisp or whatever, yeah. and Haskell. And it's kind of interesting because it's like there's this constant push for functional programming, but um, I, I just wonder why. I mean, like, what's the, what's, why are people so excited about it? I mean, I, I wrote, 
um, I took a couple courses in Scheme in college, uh, and I, you know, we're like an adventure game of text adventure game in Scheme and stuff. So I'm, you know, somewhat familiar with that paradigm of programming. But um, I just wonder why everybody's, uh, you know, have you have you noticed how everybody gets so excited about functional programming? Yeah, I mean, remind me what the basic premise of functional programming is. Is it, in my understanding, it's something that it's more like it's it's more static or something than uh, no, standard programming. Uh, I, I think the way you look at it is, is it's it's hard to, it's, let me see if I can explain this. If you haven't seen, have you seen Lisp? Do you know what Lisp looks like? Uh, it's like a function calls a function, which calls a function. Like a function is passed as a parameter to another function. A function call is passed to, you know, function A, let's say. Um, so do you mean like using enclosures with JavaScript? Uh, no, no, not like, uh, not exactly. So let's say that we're going to add um, let, let's say we're going to do, and, and let's say we had two statements in, um, say, PHP or C++ or something, where you know, statement right. one, A equals um, B plus C. Right. Okay. And then you have another function called um, Y equals X plus A. Okay. okay. It has two statements. And each one is a statement. Well, you would have, the, in functional programming, it would just be one statement, and it might be add, there's a function add, or Y Let's just start at the top. Um, let's just say you were turning. You're trying to get um, um, x equals to a plus y. Yeah, I know it's hard, it's hard to explain this a bit. But it'd be x equals add. A, 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 instead of putting a comma y, you say x equals add, um, and then you say add comma b comma c, and then the close parenthesis then comma. Um, why, right? So it's just like you're calling a series of function calls. Like you, you merged all those statements into one statement, one long statement. Perfectly clear. I know. It's totally just, get it. Um, that's what it looks like, anyway. And <laughs> it's like the, so. Can you can like you do so functional programming with PHP, for example, or with C plus? No, not really. I mean, it's not. It's not what you mean. Like um, when you say functional programming versus like object oriented programming. Like some people think, well, I just use. You know, I just call a bunch of functions. I don't yeah. actually have, use objects. It's not functional. It, it don't mean functional in that way. It means um, it's more like just, I don't know how I was trying to describe it. You, you have no, you, there, there's no immutable behavior. There's no global state that you um, are not supposed to change uh, um, a global state. And there's no, uh, like, uh, it's not like you pass in a, um, a reference to an object or a, a variable and then you change it in the function. You just return. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Now, you know, I'm sure that I'm, that this may not be completely accurate, and it probably changes is slightly different. You know, whether we're talking about Haskell or OCaml or Lisp or whatever, but it's just a different way of programming, and it's much more prevalent in the sort of academic world. I mean, Lisp is much more prevalent in the academic world. I guess Haskell's coming out of academia, and you know, I don't know about OCaml. Clojure is Lisp, but it's, I think it's run on a Java VM. Okay. I think you know, I'm I getting bored what, of this. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder, I just noticed it's like such a big deal. Well, you know what's kind of interesting? It's like, it, this leads me to my next topic um, I want to bring up. It's like the, the, there's sort of a clustering of preferences to the tools and things that people use. So there's right. like this, you know, you use Ruby on Rails with a Mac. And you use Git, <laughs> and you know it's like you know you use Git for your thing. It's like there's sort of like everybody's using the same stuff. Well, Derek Sivers put up a post there saying that he you know he used Ruby for two years and he decided 
I think was CD Baby is his his site. And, yeah. And so he yeah. re- he rebuilt the whole thing in Ruby, and then after two years he just said, said right, sort this. I'm just going to do this in PHP. I'm going back to PHP because that's what he'd done before. And he yeah. and he kind of had a big thank you for Ruby for explain. You know, he learned a lot of lessons from the Ruby uh, concept of framework that which essentially Rails is really what he's talking about rather than Ruby. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, Ruby's just a lang- I mean, a language. You know, you, could, you know, it I don't think it matters. Yeah, well, and, and, and there yeah. was some follow up on that. I mean, he had a huge. There was a huge backlash. I mean, yeah, I think the Rails community is very um, it's religious. Very religious, kind of like the um, the the Mac community, and yeah. I think Git is like that too. These, it, and I, I, I'm starting to think that things like new technologies that come out, and once they gain like a certain level of acceptance, but they're sort of still a sort of a club. Yeah. That people get very um, not only they're excited about it, but they also become very defensive about it too. Yeah. Um, whereas something like PHP is like there's nobody defending PHP. You know, it's just like whatever. It's like uh, it's it's just vanilla. It's it's just nothing cool or interesting about it well i'll defend php i think it's fantastic i mean it's it's supported supported me and everything i've done for the last 15 or you know 10 plus years and i think it's a fantastic language no, I have, I have, see, I have no problem with i mean i use php too i use php and i use c++ and i use you know c sharp and dot net and i have you know my languages that i that i'm comfortable in or that i've become efficient at using and uh, I don't know. I I kind of I kind of like would. I, it's just kind of interesting that what happens is that um, a lot of the people who are sort of on the cutting edge, who are trying to use the latest stuff, are using things like Ruby on Rails and Git and have Macs. And what happens is that you get this sort of group thing. Like everybody's using the same set of tools because on some level they have. They're they're better and, and and there's an argument that people can make that they're better. Like well, Macs are better than Windows and Git's better than Subversion or CVS or something. And Ruby is better than you know. You can't it's, really say that one language is better than another language no, because at the end of the day, it's, it's just input and output. You know, I mean, you can if if you can build functions in a language and you can build modules, then what's the difference? Because you whatever you can do with one language, you can do with another language. Right, no, that's true. I mean, they're, if it's Turing complete and things like that, I mean, there's some languages that are probably a little more verbose than other languages or whatever. There's certain things you can do, little tricks that make things a little faster, a little the, a prettier or whatever. But in the end, I think those things are just optimizing around the edges. I don't think it, much of it matters. I think it's yeah. it's not the shoes; it's the it's the player. You know, right? Yeah, it's like you know, you get a great programmer, and they can build, they can create magic. You know, magical software in any language. Well, I, I guess at the end of the day, both Ruby and PHP spit out HTML or whatever. You know, maybe they write to through a GTK. So the end user, from the end user's perspective, they just see an application. They don't really give a monkey's what's what it's written in. You know. Yeah. You know, I think you know, and you know, certain things they have, certain languages have performance characteristics that are better in certain environments, certain contexts, or certain features give you an advantage for doing certain things or there are certain tools are available or whatever. But you know, like you said, right. You can't, it's, it's, it's almost impossible, if not impossible to give it an objective measure. Like this language is absolutely better than that language. Well, there right? is one, so, one objective measure is what has the developer been working in for the last X number of years? So if the developer has been working in Ruby for three years versus the developer has been working PHP, you'd be stupid to put a, a, a Ruby guy 
you know, put them on a PHP project. It just doesn't make sense because they've they've been working in Ruby for three years. So they've they've come to terms and understand the um, environment and the little uh, nuances of the language. Oh, just going to sneeze, sir. No. <coughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, so yeah. So basically, what what has that person been using? Yeah. Is, well, uh, is no, the issue. I, I, I'm, not, I'm talking sort of in general and, and it, not in con- uh, uh, without context. Yeah. If you take in context, like do we have a code base? What is the what is the current expertise level? Are the people you're working with have an, an expertise in a language? What environment are you deploying? You know, deployed it on? Is there they, they only support certain? You know things. I mean, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of things that the context that really sets the uh, sets the stage for what you should use. I probably in most cases, but and and you're right. The the the, the most um, important thing is probably what the expertise of the coders are in. I think you're right because their their, their time is the most. That along with what, if there's a big existing code base, and but, I think that was the problem with um, CD Baby, is the and because there was sort of a follow up where I think. Uh, Derek Sivers was talking a little bit about how he regretted that post because it made a lot of people really angry, and that's not quite what he meant. You know, he didn't quite mean uh, wh- how people interpreted it. People got, you know, a lot of the Ruby people got, re- the Rails people got really offended and very defensive about it. And he's like, "Look, you know, I, th- I think that's really cool, and uh, that's not really what I meant." And some other people who had sort of a measured sort of um, reaction to it said, "Yeah, here's the thing." Um, a lot of it was that you have an existing code base. You did things a certain way, and it's and you you found a second syndrome um, with this second system syndrome. You know, when you rewrite something, sometimes it yeah. just you know you have this code base. You don't want to rewrite the whole thing from scratch. No. You want to refactor and clean it up. So you're trying to rewrite the whole thing from scratch in another language. Yeah, and. No matter what that second language is, that often turns out to be a disaster. It happens. There's so many stories of that, how that just... Because he fell... Fa- yeah, exactly. He fell foul to the thinking Ruby was so cool, I've got to use Ruby. <laughs> when he when he decided to rewrite the whole thing in Ruby. Yeah, you know, and I think it's, it's like like a lot of us who are coders, it's like, yeah, there's new technologies. They're fun to play with. And you're like, well, why don't, as a learning experience, first of all, this does seem really cool. And uh, it seems like it would make things work really well and be fun to use it. So what I'll do is I'll just write the next version. But okay, well, uh, writing uh, a next version of a complicated existing code base is probably not the best way to... Okay, I'll give, I'll give you an example, right? I've been uh, trying to get funding for that for that other secret project of mine, yeah? So we've been looking for a substantial amount of funding, you know, 500,000 plus. Now, if obviously I haven't got the funding, but the point is, is if, if I'd got the funding... And then started building the tech, the technology out. If I decided to build the tech out in Ruby, that would just be nuts, because mm-hmm. I've got so much experience in PHP. So it would be just be really, really crazy for me to, as 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 CTO of a company, to choose that other language, even if there is more, you know, Ruby guys locally or whatever. Because at the end of the day, I'm I'm the the head tech concho of that. So the more I understand about the tech of that company the the stronger position I'll be in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it goes obviously it goes for any language, it's not just Rails, it's gonna be, you know, Python or Cloche or anything else, you know. I think uh, some other people might say that what I just said was a was a stupid statement in the sense that uh, you know, a CTO shouldn't be getting involved in implementation specific details. But I think that with today's type of ramen noodle startups the CTO does need to be a hands-on programmer, dev kind of guy. It's not like old-styled, uh, you know, 
large company where the CTO is just hands off. So that's my Well, I mean, you know, if you're the CTO of Goldman Sachs, <laughs> you know, yeah, you're not writing any code. But if you're CTO exactly. of the first yeah. startup, you're the, you're the primary developer. Exactly, yeah. You're the lead dev for the first few years. You're writing the bulk, of, you know, the, of the code. So, yeah. yeah, it's a complete difference. I mean, yeah, I maybe mean, if you have a 30-person startup and you're really not, at that point, you got like 10 developers and you're just kind of coordinating <laughs> and facilitating and whatever, you know, then you don't have to be, it doesn't matter so much. Mm. Um yeah, I, I just thought it was it. So, the, so one thing I wanted to say about that is the whole the idea that we're getting a clustering of these tools and technologies that everybody is using. It's like, hey, you're not cool if you don't program in Rails, use Mac, Emacs, and get, you know, and have a blog on Posturus. You know, yeah, you get the sort of groupthink, and um, and I think people start seeing the same types of solutions because everybody starts thinking the same way. And it kind of reminds me of there was a. a a famous um, kind of a mathematical physicist named uh, Freeman Dyson. Um, he he's in these super brilliant physicists. He's kind of like the the Richard Feynman, John von Neumann, yeah, ilk. He uh, and he uh, there's a lot of interesting things. What they all say about him is I think he was the one who created the mathematics that unified. I think it was a three different theories on uh, the photoelectric effect, which I think Feynman and uh, these couple other physicists shared the Nobel Prize for. And these are all brilliant guys, and he was the only one who was able to unify these different models of the. I think it was a photoelectric effect using, um, you know, with uh, using math, math. And he's so he's just these brilliant guys, and he's been at the um, Institute for Advanced Studies at Princeton for you know what, forty or fifty years. And he's he's known as what they call uh, he he always call, considers himself a heretic because there'll, there'll be some kind of consensus among scientists that something's true and he'll come in and kind of poke holes in it and say that's not necessarily true at all and he's been very successful at that and he talks about the importance of heretics because when you get a consensus you get kind of a group thing sometimes everybody coalesces around something that's not necessarily the best solution but that's just because everybody thinks the same way. Well, it's hilarious how uh, often, uh, you know, Ruby guys and Mac guys will sort of feel like they're they're being kind of quirky and independent. But then, when when everyone does it and it becomes the group think, it's no longer quirky and independent. That's the, that's the establishment then. <laughs> yeah, well, it reminds me of the I went to the high school I went to and uh, was one of these sort of it's kind of an alternative kind of bohemian hippie like schools um and not not everyone but there was a huge percentage of people that were either sort of like hippie tie-dye long hair kind of thing or were kind of punk you know spike hair you know doc martin combat blue combat boots you know that kind of stuff black flag you know written in um, their you know these leather biker jackets or whatever and it was funny like they would go like this huge effort to demonstrate how different they were but i'm like you guys are all different exactly the same way so you put an effort to make yourselves part of this small group you know but you're not different you just put a lot of effort into to doing it and uh i just thought that was i, I mean I've, i saw that sort of in high school i used to and i actually wrote uh i, I guess an article for the you know, got published in like the literary magazine about it. You know, they kind of it was called bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it won some awards. <laughs> it's called nice. talking about the incredible bullshit that people just would fool themselves into thinking that they were so different and special. But and I, I'm not saying that you know if you use Ruby or or Mac or or anything that you're you know that way. I'm just saying that um, 
when you get I wonder if we're going to get some hate mail for this show. Well, I, I mean, think it goes for anything. I mean, you think, think it I mean any group and you know I think what happens is that if you, anytime you get like a breakaway um, technology, a breakaway movement of something in any context where there's technology or anything else. And at first it is really different and quirky and new, right? But eventually it gets enough momentum on itself that it becomes kind of the new establishment. Well, it's like PHP. I mean, the, the exact same thing happened yeah, with it PHP. it was quirky and in, in cutting edge back in 2000 or something and everybody was just like a Perl and or ASP or something or Java and if you use PHP, you were kind of like a cowboy, you know? Yeah. Right, it wasn't it wasn't really accepted in the uh, enterprise, and uh, sure as hell is now though. I mean, Yahoo, everything's well. Most of their stuff's based on uh, PHP Symphony, isn't it? I don't know. I don't really code in those kind of environments. So I don't know. I, I just think that I just don't think it, it much of it matters at all. I don't, I don't think it matters that much. Um, I think if you're really if you're a good developer, you can write great stuff in any language using most any modern tools. And um, I, what I think is just, what's important is that you don't have everybody using the same stuff, whatever that same stuff is. You don't want everybody programming in PHP. You don't want everybody using Windows. You mean you need a group that's outside throwing stones. Like you needed the Linux people throwing stones at, you know, back in the day at, at Microsoft, right? Did you see, you the, did throw, you see you need, the quotes from um, Rasmus Leardoff about PHP, some of his crazy quotes? No. Like just like, saying things like, I'm I'm really I'm I'm a useless programmer, <laughs> and right. uh, I hate objects. <laughs> Just things that you wouldn't expect him to say, kind of thing. <clears throat> yeah, I mean it's important. I mean you need diversity and um in thinking because otherwise you coalesce around things. Everybody you get you get groupthink going on. So you always need these sort of different types of groups, different size groups. Some are really small, like, you know, like Cloture, Scala, or Haskell. They're really fringy, and they're like, ah, you guys suck. We're the best. Or you need people kind of have some momentum behind them or kind of a reasonable minority like Python or Ruby, and it's like, you guys suck. We're the best. And then you have PHP going, ah, you know, we're <laughs> whatever, you know, we're awesome. You guys are all full of it. And, but you need everybody... You need people doing different things. Otherwise, you don't have enough variety of ideas and new approaches because new approaches, new solutions to things will have a better chance of arriving if, if you don't have everybody using the same stuff, I think. Okay, just to, that, that's, I think that's a, an interesting point. Um, but if you don't mind, I'd like to change the topic completely. <laughs> that's fine. I've, I've said all I can say. And by the way, if yeah. you're a Ruby or a Mac user or use Git, you know, and uh, and you're unhappy with anything we said, please just email Justin directly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think no, you, I think I you Mac, will. I have, a, I have a Mac as well as Windows. Okay. <laughs> so no problem with it. Go on. Um, yeah, Project Natal, I think, is going to be very, very revolutionary. If you think the Wii was revolutionary, Project Natal is going to just change the shape of things. This is, this is Microsoft Xbox uh, new input technology where... Basically, you don't need any kind of controller. All you do is you stand in front of the Xbox, and in real time, it scans your body, and it, it scans multiple bodies. There could be three, four people playing, and it understands all of your movements and uses that as an input device. And right. if, if you look at the um, the videos of what they've got going so far, they've got this basically, you know the, you know the old paddle game, Breakout? Yeah, you yeah. break out. Okay, so what the way that they do it in Project Natal is 
you stand in front of the screen and the bricks, rather than being at the top of the screen and the bat being at the bottom, essentially you're the bat and there's like your there's a, like an image of your body, like a grayed out version of it. And then right. in, in the distance is the bricks. And then it throws multiple basketballs at you. And you've got to move your whole body to hit these basketballs back at the bricks. And you can use your feet, your legs, your arms, your stomach, your head. And it like they showed people playing this and people were just sweating like after after playing this for a couple of minutes. And they had, you know, moms playing it. They had kids playing it, old blokes playing it. And everyone got into this game instantly. They just totally understood it. And they could they could realize that there was like a little virtual uh, avatar of themselves in the screen. And when they moved their arm, that little thing moved. And it was just completely responsive. So yeah, we're moving closer and closer to the holodeck. That is exactly correct. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> but, cool. I, that's, that's definitely cool. I mean, I think that's just one of the things that's inevitable. We get closer and closer to the, the fact that you don't need controllers, that the displays will be more and more immersive and 3d it's yeah but the thing about that is is th that could literally be because if you think about the obesity problem that we've got over the world right what one of the real problems is is that people who are lazy <laughs> and who don't want to move part of the reason is is because there's no real fun thing for them to do in, ter in terms of moving where they can really get into it but video games are so much fun and if if your video game makes you move and makes you sweat it's going to it's going to be a real help for that kind of obesity problem. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh yeah, I think you're wrong though. That's you sent me an email with that and I, I was like But this yeah, this isn't like we. This isn't you like said, we. You said everyone's going to get fit and I was like yeah, don't hold your breath. But was, this was... isn't like we fitboard where people are just, you know, moving a little bit because you've just got this one control. I mean this you really have to move your entire body to actually play the game fully like as if you're doing I don't know, step aerobics or something. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, yeah, I, it sounds like a cool technology. It sounds like fun. I'm sure there are some people who will use it a lot and, and it might help them lose a couple pounds, whatever. But um, I think a couple things. First of all, the people who don't want to exercise are not going to be the kind of people who are going to be wanting to exercise doing this or anything else. I think they just, you know, the, the, the things that keep people from exercising kind of will keep them kind of exercising almost no matter what. <laughs> I, you know? I, I disagree. I mean, d didn't you see that uh, viral video that went around about um, basically the, the premise was, can we try and get people to be more active if we make things fun? So one of the things that they did was uh, they had like an underground station, they had an escalator, and then they had some stairs next to the escalator. And during the day, everyone took the escalator, no one took the stairs. So what they did was they turned the stairs into a piano. Mm -hmm. So basically, as you walked up the stairs and, it, you know, they, they made it white with keys. And as you walked up the stairs, it made notes uh, right. and it, it you could basically play the piano by running up and down the stairs. And during the time that they left that on, you know, it uh, something like 60 percent of people to chose the stairs rather than the escalator. Right. So I, d I disagree. I think if you make things fun, if you incentivize, if you give people the right reason to be active, I think they will be. That's my opinion. Well, I hear here's a couple things, I think. One. First of all, I think there's a lot of studies that come out recently that said that exercising really doesn't help as much as people think when it comes to obesity. Well, that's true, yeah. People didn't exercise nearly as much in the you know the 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever. People were really thin compared to where they are now. People, the biggest problem is people eat too much high caloric food. Yeah. Too much corn syrup, too much whatever. I mean, this, you go, you really go into a long discussion about all the things that are wrong, that are in our food these days that add calories and 
in this to make it easier for people to uh, put on weight. You know, they think just the really high in sugar of one kind or another. And, uh, and so what happens to people exercise a lot is it makes them hungrier and they eat they end up eating more. So it's sort of, oh, that's interesting. Always, it does, it's, it's hard, it's hard for people to exercise a lot and then not increase their uh, food intake as well. Like you really have to have some good discipline. Now I've, when I've worked out a lot or I've said, all right, I'm going to drop, you know, some more weight or something. I've done it through exercising, but, um, you know, it's, it's tough to do. Um, you know, you really got to work if you're not going to adjust your diet. I mean, you really have to do a lot of exercise if you're not going to adjust your diet. I think it's more, I think, I think it's that's us. a really, that, I mean, that's definitely a very valid point, but at least people will be a little bit fitter than before if they're playing that kind of a game. I don't think, I don't think it's going to move the dial. You don't think so? Not at any sort of statistical level. No. Do you think that there's going to be some kind of, uh, pill that just deals with it on a gene level and basically goes in and alters your genes and makes you makes your metabolism faster or something like that yeah i mean first of all i think the whole fat gene thing is bs too it's just like another excuse that people say oh alcohol you know at least certain everything's a disease now and i don't know i think people you know eat we, you know, we all do. I mean, I, I eat too much food and, you know, I eat too much high caloric No, food. but there's definitely some people whose who's metabolisms are faster and they just never get fat it's, as it's much true. as they eat. It's true, too. Yeah, certain people have an advantage in that. That's certainly true. Certain people have an advantage uh, and certain people have a disadvantage. But, but if, if, you, you look at, if you look at photos of crowds of people 50, 60, 70 years ago, there were hardly anybody who was ever But away. if you think about it, right, that those people who have the high metabolism who um, don't put on weight – they are essentially evolutionary flukes because it's yeah. it, it, it's the idea of holding on to fat which is a which is a better evolutionary trait right mm-hmm. so if if there was like five people on a boat and four of them were fat and one of them had this high metabolism that's the guy who'd die first starve to death yeah. yeah no it's it's right i mean yeah i mean yeah everybody's on the evolutionary curve on that gene there's certain things work to advantage i'm just saying that if you if you look if you look his, you know, 50, 60 years ago, and there are very few fat people. It's not like the genes have changed. Well, no, so everybody has the fat gene. It's like, well, what's changed is somewhat people are more sedentary than they used to be. That's that's certainly true. But I think a bigger part of it is probably our food. We just eat too much, and the food that we do eat is too high. Well, in sugar. That, that's it's definitely just, true. It, but well, like, you can't the, say like, that genes don't play a role in it because there are people who don't put on weight. That's true, but it's not it's 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 not the primary factor because if 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 nobody was fat before. You still have the same genes as your parents and grandparents had. Then why is everybody fat? And like, oh, poor me, you know. It's like, well, it's 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 all of us are eating too much high caloric food. Agreed. Now, here's one thing I'll say. I remember there's another article about this I had read where they talked about the size of these portions have increased dramatically. So it's not just like you know, there's more sugar in the food, there's more yeah. corn syrup and things like that that are higher, higher, and the, and the fact that things are. Um, more processed and meaning that it's more easily absorbed by us. Um, well, it's, th- then it's businesses to blame because they're just trying to turn a buck. They're trying to make a profit and they're trying well, to make yeah. things larger. Well, yeah, yeah. There, there's been a lot of things where businesses are optimizing you to buy more food. So I think McDonald's was one of the first who did some optimizing on this and they said, okay, well, if we make a large or extra large, if people don't want to buy, order a second thing of fries, but how, like, how do we get people to spend more? It's like, well, you just make a bigger size or something. Yeah. And things like that. And then, you know, all the other businesses have learned to do that. And so they, they were talking about how like, the size of bagels have increased by like 50% in the last 15 years or something like that. I can't remember what that, but it's like, so if you look at, and the amount of extra calories that you have, let's say, oh, I ate a, I ate a, a bagel for breakfast, you know? And if before it was, let's say it was 200 calories and now it's 300 
calories or 350 calories for that's for a bagel yeah and you add that up um and you know all of a sudden you're getting you're you're gaining a pound or two a month and you're gaining 10, a, 15 pounds a year, there's, like a, there's a show on the us tv called taboo and mm-hmm. um there was an episode about it was just called fat <laughs> and yeah. basically they had they, they, it was really about this guy who was like 650 pounds mm-hmm. and he had got to the point where he just couldn't walk he couldn't do anything actually for himself and he was just laying down like that's all he could do was lie on his back and his wife would just basically look after him yeah. and it's just it's astonishing what what the human body can do and where it can get to yeah i mean we can we can get sort of these self-defeating cycles and, and you have people around you who are just sort of enabling you because they don't want to see you suffer and it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse wow. and you see that with like you know alcoholism and it drugs took like eight guys to lift to, to get him out the house into the hospital yeah yeah <laughs> Well, there's been a uh, there's been a ton of um, uh, of shows and everything like that where they've you know they've you've seen people like they've been like six or seven or eight or hundred pounds or whatever and you know yeah so let's uh, let's let's move on we're getting way off topic <laughs> <laughs> okay go on what do you got um, for me so I wanted to ask you a question um, a couple one I was going to ask you I don't think we, I'm not sure if we've ever talked about this. how did you first get into coding. Um, I was, uh, young and, um, basically I I was like 18, um, Uh and Macs just started coming out, uh, you know, Apple two Mac twos and they were black and white and they, they had the, they they were those small little ones, which now, now get used as fishbowls. Right. And, uh, I thought they were really cool and I was working for a firm as a, like a like a courier sort of on my little motorcycle <laughs> dropping uh-huh. out documents but they had one of these Macs and I just started playing with it and I really really liked it and started playing with um there was Quark Express on it uh-huh and I just thought that's really good so what I did was I phoned around a few um Apple stores and said that I was a te- uh, um a technical support specialist <laughs> and of course i didn't know anything about computers you just supported yourself so i basically bullshitted my way into one of these apple centers got a job there and a couple of weeks later the i was called into the head office and they sort of said um you, you don't know, know anything you don't know anything about computers do you <laughs> <laughs> and i was like no <laughs> and they're like well you know what you've got an aptitude for them you've learned a lot in the last two weeks so we're going to knock your salary down but we're going to keep you on so really? That, so they so they so that's interesting. So one, they they figured out that you didn't know what you're talking about. Yeah. They called you on it, and instead of firing they firing you, they said we're going to help you out because you're good enough. Yeah, exactly. They they said you've obviously you've got a real passion for it and you really like it, so do it. Oh, there's that word passion. Right. No, it's it's fine. Yeah. So then I then I did that, and um, in terms of getting into programming, as as I worked there, I worked there for around a year. Uh-huh. And I came across uh, Supercard and Hypercard. Right. And I just thought it was so cool that you could make these things do things. Right. So I just started getting into that, reading the books. And then that was that was quite kind of interesting. So that was my very first introduction to programming. And I had uh, did a little bit of stuff in Supercard and Hypercard. Then I kind of um, uh, forgot about computers and started getting into music and basically played the guitar for a year and kind of forgot about computers. But then I ended up uh, getting another job in Ireland for a company that was what, the, what they used to do was they used to translate software. Mm-hmm. 
So because because Ireland's sort of uh, the closest to America coming from that direction, all of the all of the software would be what we call localized into French, uh, English, Spanish, and German in Ireland, and then passed off to Europe. So I got a job in one of these software houses, um, but my job wasn't programming by any means. What I was doing was doing the screenshots. Okay. Right. So I would just uh, use go through the software and try and recreate because in the manuals you basically had to have the screenshots so i'd be on like page 56 of the manual and there was a screen i'd have to try and replicate that in the software take the screenshot and then save the file so they could put that in the fr- the translated uh, manual okay so is this story going on too long no <laughs> okay so you're programming in what you're on, this is in hypercard this this is no programming this is literally just screenshots there's no okay. programming involved here Okay. So then what happened was that company s- decided to have a, a kind of shift around of how they were going to do things. And they said they were going to break the company up into independent units. And they gave the staff a chance to create their own company. So uh, myself and two of the other guys decided we were going to do screenshots for them as an external company. Okay. And, uh, you know, they gave us, I don't know, like a thousand pounds or something to go and start this company. <laughs> really, it right. was a big ripoff. <laughs> right. So what happened was uh, they, 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 sent us out there and we started doing these screenshots and we ran out of work very soon and there was nothing we could do. And then I happened to encounter the internet uh, just via some meeting where some guy was talking about the internet and I just fell in love with that concept. And right. it then it, it was then that I started programming on the side. Well, just, this is when? What year was this? I guess saying? this is 94. Okay, so this is right at the very beginning. Yeah, right it? at the very beginning. And just the idea of CGI bin. Like CGI, right. it just really caught. I just really thought, wow, this is this is just a great way to uh, to program and do things. Like, to, if people can interact with the website that I make, that's amazing. So then I made a thing called the Virtual Irish Pub chat system, right? And basically just learned C from the ground up. Uh, made made a CGI script in C, and that was the chat system. And th- and at, at that time, if you typed live chat in Google, because that was when Google very first came out. Uh, I think we're probably about ninety six now. Uh, right. Virtual Irish Pub was number one. <laughs> wow! <laughs> so that was really my my intro, my introduction into programming, um, and it was it was that way. And then and then where'd you go from there? So you were, you did Virtual Irish Pub. Uh, I did Virtual Irish Pub, and obviously uh, you were at what Pearl? No, that was in that was in C. Um, oh, C. Okay. And the reason the reason why I decided to do it in C was because I really wanted to be fast. I wanted to be really responsive. And of uh-huh. course, <laughs> now when I think about it, it doesn't make any difference whatsoever. Like because every transaction is going across the net, so it doesn't matter how fast the code is; it's got to travel like two seconds across across the right. world, you know. But um, the next thing I learned was Perl, and I thought, oh, that's so much easier than C, you know. Right. Which and it was because you could you could basically do shortcuts. And then when PHP came out, not PHP version one because that was a bit too um, arcane. But when right. when version two came out. Then I really liked PHP version two and just got into that, right. and um, it 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 was really just through opening up this this independent company and we decided once we realised we couldn't get any more uh, software translation, we did, we called ourselves a web consultancy, and mm-hmm. uh, of course probably the first web consultancy in Ireland and what we did was. We took our computer. We didn't have a laptop. <laughs> uh-huh. We decided that we were going to sell pages online for twenty-five pounds. <laughs> so so we ch- you design a page for twenty-five. For twenty, for, we were going to give you a website for twenty-five pounds. 
Okay. So what we did was we traveled around Ireland in our car <laughs> and we basically <laughs> went into hotels and we took the, we took the lap, the, not the laptop. We took the whole computer rig into the hotel and said, basically, look, this is the internet. You need to get online. This is amazing. And this is what, like 2004, 2005? No, no, no. <laughs> no, this is like 95. <laughs> this is just like last year. <laughs> this is, this is 95 now, I think maybe okay. 96. And so we showed, and all these, these hotel owners were going, what, what the hell? What, the, what is this? 25 right. pounds, you know, but like, first of all, our, pro our price point was completely wrong, you know, because 25 pounds was just like nothing ludicrous. And secondly, they hadn't even heard of the Internet. So we were basically educating them on the Internet. And we're, uh, like, we're going to charge you nothing to do something you have no understanding of. And they're like, <laughs> <laughs> they were just really okay. didn't understand it. But, you, we're going to charge you next to nothing to do this random thing. They're but like, there yeah. was there was one customer who did take who did who did it. And it's a guy called, um, it was a, it was a, what do you call them? Uh, not a bed and breakfast. Um, the other one for students, it's a hostel. Yeah. Hostel. And it was called Avalon house. If you Google Avalon house, Ireland, you'll see it. So they were like the first guys to go online in Ireland and they just made so much money because they were the only one when you typed in any search engine, you know, oh, um, wow. hostel Ireland. There, our, our 25 pound page came up <laughs> and people just emailed them and he got thousands and thousands of pounds worth of business. So he, he loved you guys. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> One thing that I forgot to tell you that's kind of hilarious is that um, Virtual Irish Pub, when, when we, we'd had it going in kind of beta mode for a while, uh -huh. Uh -huh. But then we decided, okay, we're going we're gonna to make a business out of this. So we actually got it launched officially by the mayor of Dublin, <laughs> live on national television. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Which is funny. How do you manage that? I don't know. I can't remember. I think we just wrote them a letter telling them about it, and he he just thought, oh, this is cool, and he just uh, basically came to us and opened the virtual Irish pub. <laughs> With, so you lived in Ireland for a while? I lived in Ireland for 13 years, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. But you're... I mean, you grew up in uh, London, is that right? I grew up in the UK, yeah, but my, my father had always lived in Ireland. So when I was around uh, 18, 19, I moved over there. No, just, oh, so your parents were divorced, is that why? You... Uh, yeah, they were. Okay, so then you just went when you were older and, and spent some time with him? Yeah. Okay, I see. That's interesting. Okay, so, and then after that, then you, you, you got into the business, is that right? Of just being a professional web developer or something? Yeah, pretty much. Cross, cross between that and music. But you were also doing a lot of graphical stuff, right? You were kind of a UI guy or Flash or... Uh, yeah, well, it, at some stage at some stage in the Virtual Irish Pub's evolution, we decided to turn the whole thing into a Flash uh, environment. Okay. And um, that was about the time where we had just over a million investment into the Virtual Irish Pub from, from some business guys. And this was just 1999 coming up 2000. Right. And what happened was um, we had really high ambitions uh -huh. uh, for, the, for the Virtual Irish Pub, and we decided to turn it into this, let's say, a, something like a kind of a casino meets a chat room. Huh. Um, and we tried to do this in Flash 4, and uh, which was where Flash was at the time, and it just this couldn't do what? it. So what, no, what You said this was 2000, right? This yeah. is 2000, yeah, 1999, 2000. So what happened was... We just we just couldn't get it there. Basically, the tech the, the technology didn't allow for us to get it there. So we burnt through the money. Um, the the business guys made some bad decisions. They they decided to do the whole thing of get the really expensive office, 
you yeah. know uh hire too many people hire specialists they did all that stuff wrong you know <laughs> what was your role in this? If, they, they were the making decisions. So, what was your role? Yeah, well, I basically my my role um, with that was essentially doing doing Flash, and I was kind of lead of of Flash programming. And uh, and then that after that ended, then you went in and, and you did you were doing more consulting work after the. Well, no, then then coming sort of coming to the end of that money, what I did was I I came up with another concept called all channels, and uh-huh. my my idea was to create a search engine. That was based around human moderation, so it's pretty much like what Maholo is today. Okay. Um, and I tried to get that funded, and I just basically spent the next six months. I got seed funding for it. I got around forty thousand in seed funding, uh-huh. and then I I um, assembled a team of you know pretty pretty high level people, and we then went and presented to venture capitalists. But this is just exactly at the point that Boo.com happened, uh-huh. and our revenue model was um essentially advertising and everyone said no you can't make money through advertising you can't make money by that way you know it's not going to work but if you if you think about it 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 would have it would have worked it could have been a very successful business because uh moholo's doing fantastically well Uh, about.com's doing fantastically well and it's something like a cross between about.com and moholo was what all channels was yeah you know so much of these things assessment depends on the timing yeah, it really is. It's, it's the timing is such a key factor. I mean, obviously, it's the execution. It's not just the idea. It's you know how yeah. you execute on the UI and the and all the little things that add up. But then you're right. The timing is such a big deal. I mean, if you're too early or too late, you're just you're you know give it get no shot sometimes. But the the knowledge that I really lacked at that point was the the ramen noodle mentality, because what you know what I thought and what was really sort of going around then was this idea of really large investments and it's like kind of like getting that huge vc investment was kind of an integral part of building your business well that's that's why it's i think it's so useful sometimes to try and take a contrarian view of what everybody else is doing so if everybody starts doing something like this becomes the sort of conventional wisdom that you have to do things a certain way there's a lot of value to sort of becoming a contrarian at that point because usually when everybody starts going in one direction it turns out to be wrong <laughs> well, know, that, that, so many things is like that in life oh it's time to you know buy a house no it's time to buy internet stocks oh it's time to get big funding oh it's time to you know everybody goes into advertising no everybody is out of ever using advertising well you know it's as soon as everybody starts doing something when everybody else zigs i like to zag i think it's that means the contrarian that we, view now would be to develop a website not in ramen noodle style not ramen profitability but you know the contrarian view would be to go and seek out a million dollars funding yeah you know i don't know i mean maybe maybe it's I mean, it's not always a um, polar opposite but for instance you one thing we've, we've talked a little bit in the past is this minimum viable product right so there's this big thing it's like absolutely do the minimum thing you can and get it out there and start learning from your customers, right? Yeah. Maybe that's not quite right. You know, maybe it's a, it's a more of a measured um, comprehension of that idea. And you want to get, make sure that, you know, what it is that you're doing has some form to what it actually is that you want it to be before you get it out there. And as we've argued about in the past, you know, something along those lines. It's like, well, it's I think we're just to- talking about your perception of a minimum viable product. You're still following the same, same advice it's just that your personal perception of a minimal minimum viable product is a lot bigger than someone else's and that's all so so you you've got to create the minimum viable product for yourself yeah yeah that's that's fine it's 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 kind of like when look it's like when everybody does something 
you know, when, they, when I don't understand everyone, when, when a, a majority of people start thinking something is true, it doesn't mean they're 100% wrong, but it, doesn't, it means that you've got to be careful to do, just buy into it at face value, right? Oh, there are weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Everybody knows that's true. Well, guess what? That was not true. Right. Yeah. You know, everyone thinks that, you know, that you're going to make a million, you know, whatever it is. Right. Uh, you're going to make money on buying Internet stocks and everybody thinks you're going to make you can, you know, everybody can go into real estate now and everybody, you know, you buy a house now because real estate can only go up in value. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. These asinine things that are not true. Or well, in new, London, new, that's kind of true. You know, there are there are things that have some truth to them. But what it means is. You, you always need to use your brain. You always need to take a step back from the hype and spend more time thinking about why it might be true or not true and what context is true. And that's what we talk about, like development methodologies. Like, okay, you know, it says, oh, well, you have to do Agile or you have to do Scrum or you have to do this or you have to do that. It's like, well, as soon as you start saying you have to and always and this is the only way and, uh, you know, then it's like – People start turning their brains off and they just do things because, well, this is best practice or this is what everybody else does. It's like, eh. Well, yeah, but Waterfall know. is so inefficient. Well, I'm not saying, you know, just because I'm saying that just because everybody says you have to do some kind of version of Agile that the, the thing to do is then do Waterfall. Right. The thing is to say what I'm saying by taking a contrarian view, I guess my, my – what I mean by that is – don't buy into things. Don't buy into the hype immediately. Just because everybody says it's a great idea, they make a great case. Take a step back and think about it for a minute. And go, okay. <laughs> let's see. What about this makes sense to me, and why? What's the real rationale for doing this? And you know, it's sort of it's sort of like that cargo cult phenomena, which you know you hear a lot about on the web, where people say, oh, "Well, um, uh, I was reading a." Um, I was watching a uh, a video of I think it was Startup School 2008 when um, Paul Buhite, who's the guy who did Gmail and FriendFeed, right, was talking and he's a really funny guy. It's a great actually. You should do a search on YouTube and watch that uh, video. Uh, just search on YouTube for Paul Buhite and uh, that video will come up. It's really good. And um, what he says is he's basically saying, "Look, I don't necessarily know what works." <laughs> You know, I'm just, I'll tell you what I did, what I think might work. He's like, because like when Gmail came out, they had that invite only thing. Yeah. And so people started thinking, oh, well, you know, that's the trick to making this thing work is you got to have to invite only. Yeah. <laughs> right. He's like, that might've just been coincident. Might, might not have contributed at all to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And people started making their websites invite only, didn't they? It's all invite only. Or what you got to do is got to be in beta a long time. So you start, you know, things succeed in, uh, you know, or fail but it's sometimes it's really difficult looking at a single instance to isolate the factors. It's almost impossible to isolate the factors on what made it succeed. Did it succeed because the Gmail succeed because it was part of Google or because it was an Ajax interface or because they did invite only or because they did this or they did that? I mean, you know. I think I, I'm thinking it's because it's a cross between the fact it was an Ajax interface and it was Google. <laughs> yeah, and they executed well and probably yeah. a lot of things like that. But yeah. I think what happens is people um, start looking at um, other factors and, and, and cue into the wrong factors. Right. Something stands out to them. Oh, it's the rounded colors. Or why is, you know, Basecamp successful or something? Is it because it's so super simple product? Can make your product as simple as possible? Maybe, or maybe it's because they had a huge audience, and you know, yeah, that was a big factor. I, I, I don't know. I'm not advocate. I'm not necessarily saying I have a strong understanding of exactly why certain things succeed always or not. But um, anyway, I just think you have to. Uh, 
And it's tough to do, right? Because you don't have a lot of time to sit down and analyze things deeply to try and get a true understanding of them, right? Yeah. You're just kind of, like everybody else, you know, your brain power sucked into just getting through the day and doing the things that you need to do and doing a good job at them is to go in and putting a deep analysis to everything that you approach in life. Sometimes you just don't have the time to analyze, say, are there really weapons of mass destruction? You know, is agile absolutely the best way? You know, is this whole <laughs> mortgage economy really not right. I'm not an expert in real estate or in economics, but you know, I'm going to spend the next month analyzing macroeconomic factors, the history of real estate price. You know, people just don't do that. They just go, wow. They watch CNBC or read the New York Times and they hear what everyone else is doing and they just kind of get sucked in and go, wow, yeah, mm-hmm. this is a good time to buy a house, you know. But mm-hmm. so it's hard to do that. But I just, I, 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 I sort of, I think I, I've been tricked enough in life to buy into things when there's a certain amount of hype that I've kind of like, you know, I can only be fooled so many times. Eventually I'm like, I'm very skeptical of a lot of things until I, until I've, until I feel like I've had some level of uh, understanding of the core reasons why things may or may not be true. Yeah. And I don't, like I said, but at the same time, I don't always analyze everything because I don't always have a lot of time. So I'll just say, look, I'm on the fence. I don't know. But, uh, okay. Switch topics. Actually, um, I I think I might, might have to go. Oh, really? Yeah. Why do you have to go? Uh, just got people to see, things to do. Okay. How about one life more thing? Live. Okay, go one, on. One, yep, shoot. Um, so you said that uh, you were doing uh, voiceover lessons <laughs> <laughs> yesterday? That's why you can do a show? Yes, I how have. Did that, how, did that, how did that come about? I was talking to someone on Skype uh, and guiding them through TweetMiner, and they were looking at TweetMiner videos, and they said, have you ever thought of doing voiceovers? And I kind of had thought, but I hadn't really investigated. So then I did a little bit of investigation, looked it up, and uh, found an interesting school in LA where you can do it. And I just thought, well, I'll, I'm really interested to know, you know, can I do it? Is it, is it something that I could, you know, maybe make a few extra quid from? Right. So um, I just signed up for a course really just to get evaluated, I think. That's the main reason why I'm doing it, not to learn, just to get evaluated, to see whether it's worth my while pursuing. Because it's it's a great way to earn a little bit of extra cash because it's, you know, you don't actually need to leave the house. You, you can quote, you can get the jobs, you can quote the jobs online via websites by uploading MP3s. And, um, you know, if you, if you do like a national ad campaign, like uh, for something like, you know, the new Nissan Acura. <laughs> right. 29.4 liters. <laughs> right, if you right. do a campaign like that, you know, you earn, you earn um, anywhere of- between five and $10,000, you know? So it's quite, it's quite good uh, money if you can get that kind of work. But obviously, that's, that's the high level. And the, the ad slots for um, local radio, they're like 300 bucks for 15 seconds or something like that. And once again, it's, it's not a lot of effort and work. I mean, it's, you know, I already do the audio post-production for our show. Right. So um, all I'd need to do is to upgrade the mic. Right. Um, but anyway, it was really funny because I went into the, the class yesterday and obviously all the people going in are people who have really good voices. And right. it was like living an episode of The Simpsons. <laughs> 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 because everyone has this kind of quirky, interesting, good voice, you know. And right. they're all sort of talking to each other and it's so strange. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure. I, yeah, it was very weird. Yeah, I, I had a the one experience I had with that. I um, I did a couple of um, 
of commercials back when I was in uh, college. Oh yeah, I had a, a guy who was a casting director just approached you know approached me and said, "Hey, listen, we're shooting. We need guys. It was the Olympics, the '96 Olympics. We're going to be in Atlanta." And they wanted to do like a shot of Olympic swimmers getting ready to dive off. And he thought I looked like an Olympic swimmer. And so he's like, hey, <laughs> you know, come in. And it's like, we could, we could do. So I went, no. And, and uh, so I did some shots. What was hilarious is that you would go into a room for like these casting and you'd see all these people who look just like you. <laughs> it's bizarre. <laughs> right? You know, because they're like, they're casting. Because when you're casting for a part, oftentimes they're casting for a very particular look. Yeah. And you go into some room and they're, you know, it's always weird if you ever in your, in your life come across someone who you think, yeah, that guy kind of looks like me, right? That's, yeah. You know, it doesn't happen very often, but if you do, you're like, that's kind of weird. Um, but you see, like, you walk into a room and there are 10 or 15 people who all look kind of like you, variations on a theme. <laughs> it's really bizarre. Uh, so I, I know what you're talking about. That's the funny. funniest thing is the guy, the guy who runs the course, um, during the phone communication in, in when I booked with the course, he basically l- l- left a voice message, and the voice message is just like a TV commercial. <laughs> it's like it's like, "Hello, Justin, how are you doing? This is a message for you. We're now playing phone tag. We're now playing phone tag, and you're it." <laughs> and it's like, is this a message or is this a TV ad? <laughs> That's great. Well, it's interesting. You know, I think it's um. It's like what, my one reaction is, man, you got a lot of, you know, you're doing a lot of different things. You know, you got a two, couple side projects, you're consulting, you know, get into yet another thing. But at the same time, I think it's fun to, to try new stuff. This is, ju- this right? is, this is, I mean, very tongue in cheek, very just having a bit of fun. I mean, this is not something that I'm going to take on board. Uh, well, as that's what makes life interesting, I think, right? Is that you try, when you go out there and you just try something different. Do yeah. something completely outside of your zone, your comfort level. You meet new people. You have some new experiences. You know, even if it's like, hey, you know, you screw around with this for a few months, you always remember kind of the experience of it and the people and the. Oh yeah, no, I've I've always loved to do things like that. Like this, like the time I did uh, six months acting training. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that, that was when I found out I'm never going to be an actor. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's like the whole thing we talk about too, like exploration versus exploitation, right? You spend eighty percent of the time exploiting what you know, twenty yeah. percent of time just exploring random paths, right? Voiceover school is a random path. <laughs> I mean, the weird, the weird thing is, all these crazy things that I try, I always come back to coding, programming. That's ultimately what I'm basically, you know. You always get back to the weird your wheelhouse. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. The well, podcast you, that, has been fun, though. Yeah, no, this was this was a random thing, right? Uh, let's do a podcast. That yeah. We started May or June. Yeah. And now we've, this is episode 30. How long have we... So May or June, that's... I mean, it's over six months at this stage. Yeah. Yeah. So, and uh, because we've become pretty efficient at it, it's not like, well, I don't know if I can keep doing this thing. It takes up so much time. You know, yeah. It takes almost no time. I mean, now, yeah, so we, you know, I enjoy it. You should keep going. So, but that's, uh, it's, yeah, like sometimes you do a random thing and then it just works out. It's something you can integrate into your life. Yeah. You know? I mean, sometimes it could change your whole life. You find something that's like, wow, this is what I was meant to do. I found my new calling, you know, but. Well, it's just like, you know, you go to the gym. That time that you're in the gym is, could, could be the time that I'm doing voiceovers. Yeah, well, you need a little variety in life, but especially if you're like a, a contract, you know, consultant or coder or somebody who does anything like that, maybe a, you know, a, a writer or a journalist, you spend all your time sitting at home behind a computer just thinking, 
or talking yeah. on the phone at most. I mean, that gets, you know, that gets a little weird after a while. You need to get out of the house and and and, and um, interface with the rest of the world, right? People who have nothing to do. Well, I mean, the, most of the people I interact with have, have no understanding of any of the stuff that I do or work on or think about. That's another point about the, this voiceover thing is, I mean, computers there is no one to talk to in Hollywood about computers. It's, it just doesn't fit with Hollywood and LA, which is where I live. Right. Mm-hmm. But voiceovers is, I mean, it's just completely in sync with everything that's going on around in this local area. So yeah, people get it. They're all in the business of one kind or another. Yeah. yeah and then there's well, loads you... of work for voiceover artists in the voiceover artists capital of the world. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, you know, even in Pasadena where I live, you know, which is, not very far from you, but it's a different world. It's far enough away from Hollywood that you hardly ever run anyone who's in the business who lives in L.A. Yeah. Um, and if you do, it's usually because they're really well established and they can kind of live wherever they want because they get called in only on big projects. Right. So rarely do you run into people. So um, – but even in this world in where I live in Pasadena, nobody knows anything about you know tech startups and stuff. Yeah. That I, if I talk what I'm doing, they're kind of like, oh, you know, I – you know. They really don't know. And, I think uh, Santa Monica is kind of the closest where that kind of stuff happens. There's probably more of it in Santa Monica than there is. I mean, there's a little bit here in Pasadena, but no matter where you are, unless you're in um, Silicon Valley, it's just there's so few people actually doing this compared to the overall population. Right, right. <laughs> so in Silicon Valley, everyone's doing it. Is that, is that the way it works? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I would say not everyone, but I'd say if you're in Silicon Valley or San Francisco and you walk into like a coffee shop and there's some, you know, 20, 30 something sitting there with a laptop, there's a reasonable chance that some percentage of them are, you know, yeah. are working on something in that world. Whereas in LA, you know, or Pasadena or Chicago or anywhere else, it's, I think it's a very low percentage of this. Well, in people. LA, when I go to my local cafe, I think I've said this in an episode before, like when I sit down at the table, all I hear around me are people talking about scripts and casting and yeah, yeah. Oh, it's hilarious. I, I, um, even not even in Hollywood. Even if you go even the other side of the, the hills, and if you're over in uh, like San Fernando Valley, right. And uh, I, um, fr- a good friend of mine lives over there, and a couple of times we grab some coffee at like the local, I don't know, Starbucks or something. And there's like ten or fifteen people in there, and you could tell they're all working. They have like scripts lying out next to them, right? <laughs> you can tell, and you can you walk by their you can walk by their screens as you're you know walking through the place, and you can see that they have like a you know script writing software like all of them well my favorite thing is shopping at the local trader joe's and like as i'm in the checkout queue the person next to me i just saw on tv last night yeah (laughs) that just happens all the time where we are it's so funny but it's never it's never uh, a-listers it's always d-listers so it's people who you know like you're watching csi and like it's the dead body (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah people like that at first, for people, yeah, that's why it's like when you when people are on TV or in the movies and and you're from a different city, it just blows you away. We're like, oh my god, that guy's on the show I watch. It's so unbelievable. And then after you live everywhere, you're like, yeah, okay, yeah. You know, after a while, you get used to the fact that everyday people are in on TV and in movies, and people in movies and TV are everyday people. Yeah. You know, okay, yeah, I've seen that guy. Or you'll see. Actually, I, I I've seen a number of famous people at different times when I was over there. I don't spend much time in that part of the LA because they said live in Pasadena, but. You know, every once in a while when I would go over there to maybe visit a friend or hang out with somebody, you know, you'd be like, oh, yeah, there's so-and-so. Even even about um, last week, uh, I was watching an episode of Dollhouse. And uh, I don't know, do, do you ever watch Dollhouse? I don't even know what that is. What it's is that? it's a sci- sci-fi show by um, Joss Sweden. Okay. Um, anyway, I was watching this show, and this one of the main characters in this is a, is a doll called Victor. 
<laughs> he's, <laughs> he's this guy called Victor, basically, in the show. So I'm watching the show, and we go, go to this bar locally, and, like, table next to me, sipping his drink, Victor. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess the most recent one I did, I ran into um, the guy. There was, I think it was commercial, like, for DirecTV. And the guy, um, there was, they were, they were like in a boardroom. They're like, what are we going to do? And he's like, you know, we'll say they have a, well, they don't have a thousand channels. And they're like, do we have a thousand channels? It's like, you know, no, of course we don't. You know, like, but who just changed the game? Oh, that's the ad. Yeah, I know that ad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the guy, he's done a whole bunch of variations on that ad. And he's actually been in a number of different funny movies um, and, uh, and comedies, I mean. And, and, and uh, he was, we were at the park and I was watching my kids and he was watching his, you know, kid or kids. And we were talking. And I was like, yeah, you look really familiar to me. <laughs> I go, are you on TV or something? And he's like, yeah. And so, and I'm like, oh, there you go. You know, we were sitting there, you know, we were just talking for a little bit. It was just like a random, you know, just like an average guy. It was just like, I know your face. So <laughs> you, I- you had a random hookup in the park. What do you mean? Did I just start talking to him? <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I'm just being facetious. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. So, but oh, you know, but I've, I've done that a couple times at the park. We run into people where we're just shooting, you know, because you're sitting there watching your three or five year olds or whatever, and they're running around, and yeah. you're kind of just standing there talking, you know, just talking to some of their parents because you're just kind of bored out of your mind <laughs> after a while, like an hour and a half, and the kids are running around. And, um, the, uh, you know, and I've, I've ran into a couple from people who I've seen on TV, and we were talking, and I'm like. You know, I know their face. Like I know I've no I know I've seen them somewhere. Texting expose on living in Los Angeles. That's right. That's right. All right, so uh, why don't we <laughs> put a cap on this one and get on with our day. So all right, that's a wrap. We're out. <laughs> <laughs>